Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, Bishop offers specific suggestions on how we can make our parishes and communities more welcoming. Then he answers questions submitted by listeners on topics including tarot cards, reaching the religiously unaffiliated, and more. If you have a question for Bishop to answer on a future show, you can submit it at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop, or send a text to the Holy Cross College text line, 260-436-9598. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services to save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. And I've heard people talking recently about how we can be more welcoming, specifically at our parishes, probably at our homes and just as Catholics in general. But I've kind of noticed this myself that when you go into a Catholic church, a lot of times it's not the most welcoming place. Or when you sit down in the pew next to somebody that you don't know, Usually we just kind of ignore the person. And so I thought maybe we could just have a, a little bit of a discussion on, and challenge ourselves of how we can all be a little bit more welcoming as Catholics to other Catholics, to non-Catholics, to people that might be coming to our churches. So is that something that you think about very often as a bishop? Yeah, I mean, it's come up at different times. I think it is important to have a friendly uh, you know, welcome people when they come into church. You know, you might say just hello. I mean, you don't want to have a lot of talking if people are praying. Yeah. But, you know, a smile can communicate a lot uh, or good morning to introduce yourself, um, I think is a good thing to move over sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've, I've noticed sometimes in church where someone will be sitting and his poor family's trying to, needs a, a place and, People won't move over for them uh, in a pew, you know. I mean, they're little things, but I think it's it, there's things like that that are, uh, you know, important. Um, and uh, especially, you know, in the gathering area, right? Uh, the narthex of the church, where you know you're not going to be disturbing people who are praying to welcome people and to be cheerful to people. Things like that, I think, is are very good. Um, mm-hmm. I even think courtesy in the parking lot. I yeah. mean, opening the door for someone. It, it's important, too, that the ushers are friendly right. and welcome people because they're at the doors. Um, you know, glad or you're should here. should be at the doors. Because I, I feel like that's maybe two separate things. Yeah, once we get into the church, we do have a more reverent attitude, and it should be quieter and more focused on prayer and not distracting to other people. So you don't want to have conversations right, and stuff in right. in the sanctuary. Um, but different churches that I've been into have done different things with greeters and things like that, whether that be the ushers that serve as a greeter or a family's volunteer to sign up to be greeters and you welcome people, shake their hand. If, they, if you don't recognize them, maybe 
you know, introduce yourself, something like that. But I don't feel like that's a common practice in our Catholic church to have somebody at the doors welcoming people, you know, seeing if they have any questions. Yeah. And I, I don't know where that comes it, it from. It varies. But. I mean, I've seen sure. it. And I guess it depends on the parish. Yeah. Um, but I think it is good to be able to have someone there who opens the door, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's an inner door. You know, you might have elderly people who need a hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is it does mean something when you're greeted. It may be someone who's just, who's hasn't been there for a while or a visitor even. I, I think it is a good thing. So as, as welcoming as we can be, I think, but without, you know, like you said, in the church itself, the church should be a house of prayer. So yeah. you don't want to have big conversations or be distracting to those around us, you know, so that we're praying. But at the entrances, yes. Have you seen, uh, you go to all different parishes and see all kinds of different things. I feel like I've seen this, but I'm not for sure. Like places that will have like maybe a a welcome center or an info desk or at least somebody standing around with a name tag on. So if you're new to the area, you know, that's the person that you can ask where the restroom is. Or, you know, if you have a different question about, is there a place I can change the diaper or something like that? Uh, Do you see that in some of our parishes? And, And how does that work best, do you think? I've only seen that in a few places, and there usually are very large parishes uh-huh. where they have more staff, yeah, sure. where they will be out there, and they usually have these bigger gatherings places. Mm-hmm. But in the smaller churches, there's really no room because it yeah. can be a very small vestibule or Or the older way. churches that weren't really designed for that kind right, of thing. Right, right. Yeah. Or they have so many entrances that you right. can necessarily have somebody at every entrance. Right. Um, I once heard a guy speaking on kind of parish renovation and, and how we can do better as parishes. And one of his challenges were that our parish staffs would be available on Sundays and would take a weekday off if they'd like. And because to have our, our parish staffs available all week long when nobody's coming to church and then not there on Sunday when everybody is coming to church is kind of missing an opportunity for touching base with somebody who, you know, needs baptismal records or, you know, has a question about RCAA to have these people around and available on Sundays being an advantage. Is that something that you would recommend? Uh, but we also want to keep holy the Sabbath and not be working on Sundays. So how do you, how would we yeah, balance I mean, that? I think it, it, wouldn't necess- it wouldn't be like a day, but you could have after mass some parish staff available. Sure, sure. You know, for a half hour after mass or something for those kinds of things. Or, you know, one of the things I always remember as a priest, people wanting to talk after Mass, and mm-hmm. it might, might be another Mass that's coming on. It's really right. hard. Right. And you say, well, give me a call or right. uh, let me, you know, give me your email and I'll get back to you kind of thing. So that happens to a priest a lot right? where people want to kind of do business before or after Mass on Sunday, and that's very difficult with a priest. Which maybe if you there were staff around or volunteers that were, you, know, you could kind of point them to. Yeah. Like this is the person to talk to about religious ed or whatever. Right, right. Uh, another thing I've always kind of been struggling with is the, the mass is such a, a high learning curve, I feel like, for a stranger to come in. Some people have amazing experiences. They said, I, my first mass I went to, it was the most beautiful thing. I knew I had to become Catholic. Other people are just really confused, and I don't know when to stand, when to sit, what I'm supposed to do, if I'm supposed to go up for communion, if I should stay in my seat. 
Have you seen any good guides that people either put in the pews or would have available for visitors? Well, uh, parishes that have missalettes, uh, they can be helpful to visitors, I suppose. Some of them have those cards that have the responses, mm-hmm. um, and I think that would probably be helpful. But that's a good question, Kyle. There might be some materials that might give like a brochure or something explaining each part of the Mass. I, there must be some of those out there, but I'm not quite sure if we have parishes using anything like that. But I think part of it is maybe when someone who is new comes that they're that they're greeted and you know someone like if i was there i and there was someone new next to me i would help them along yeah. the way and point to things or whisper now we this is, <laughs> now we now we sit to listen to the readings or now we kneel because it's the eucharistic prayer the missalettes do give the communion guidelines someone could just point that out to a visitor as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, these are little challenges. I yeah, I don't think you can solve all these these things, but there might be some ideas like that that could be helpful to people. That makes me think about the teaching masses. Are you familiar with these? Where I've you heard would, of it, but I'm not. I've, I've kind of heard different opinions on the appropriateness of it. Where you would celebrate a mass, but kind of pause at different points to explain something. So maybe before reading the gospel, just a reminder what it is or why we're doing it. Or before we do the sign of peace, reminding people what this is all about. I've seen it done in the context of of youth ministry. Uh, Maybe on a retreat, they would do a teaching mass. Uh, Some say that it's a great way to engage people and help them get more out of mass. I've gotten a lot more out of it because, oh, I don't really think of that in mass that I'm supposed to be doing this at this time. But maybe some had said it might be more appropriate to do that outside the context of an actual Mass. You would have a teaching run-through of the Mass that wasn't an actual consecration. Any feelings yeah, on something I, like I that? I don't think I would be comfortable doing such a teaching Mass. Uh-huh. I mean, I mean, if there were like two sentences or something, I wouldn't bother me explaining something. But I think the Mass should be the Mass. Yeah. I mean, I think when one participates or one is there— just take it in. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It's okay not to understand everything if right. one's new. You grow in your understanding through experience. And there can be uh, talks outside of Mass on the parts of the Mass and the meaning of the Mass. I did that for uh, one of the Rekindle the Fire. I went through each of the parts of the Mass and right. its history yeah. and yeah. explaining it. And I know a lot of guys like that, but mm-hmm. I think that was more appropriate in a a lecture format mm-hmm. apart from mass. Yeah. Another issue, I think whenever we're talking about welcoming people into our parishes, welcoming families with children or uh, people that might have disabilities, things like that. Anything that you would kind of urge parishes to do or, or urge parents to do, or people that uh, don't have children that might not be quite as understanding about uh, noisy, rambunctious children. Yeah, well, first of all, I think I know because, you know, with my own nieces and nephews when they were small, it can be challenging for parents who are trying to, um, you know, it's good to bring maybe some picture books or things like that for the children to keep them occupied during mass, especially religious books. But sometimes you have a child who, you know, is gets very unhappy and starts to scream and cry. I mean, that's person you know you take the child out because it's back to if there's a cry room or a 
a narthex or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I know that can be embarrassing for people. You know, they're trying their best. <laughs> uh, but also other people need to be patient and not like yeah. give dirty looks or, you know, these poor young parents, they're trying, they're there. I think it's wonderful they're there. Um, but uh, so I think you need on both sides. You yeah. know, I think you got to, uh, I think our, you know, we need to be patient um, at the same time, considerate of others if a child is getting really out of control to take them out, you know? <laughs> Do you ever get distracted during homily? Sometimes I'll see a priest that is just so locked in and giving them, I, mean, I don't know how you're doing this with all these kids. <laughs> right, yeah, it can be challenging. I mean, I've had a few. Yeah. I've been, you know, I've, I think of baptism sometimes where, you know, I've had baptisms <laughs> where the child has screamed like the whole ceremony and you're just trying to, it's just like, oh, I got to get through this. You yeah. know, let me just pour the water and, uh, you know, you can't, pre I mean, how do you preach when the baby's just crying, right. you know, loud? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you just have to make do, you know, I think. Yeah. And try to, you know, the parent can try to uh, console the child in some way, but sometimes it's, well, you know, you're a father. Sometimes it might not be possible. Right. The right. child is just so agitated or whatever. Do you ever have somebody take a rain check on the baptism? Can, they, can, we, can we pick this up next week? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's never happened. But I have shortened the ceremony a bit when it gets okay. out of control. Yeah. Uh, another thing I was thinking about, we, oh, man, it's been over a year probably now that we had the young adults in here and we did kind of a little roundtable discussion. And one of the things that they were talking about was registering with parishes and kind of have been wondering if there's a, a better way that we could offer registration for parents or for parishioners. I, I think some people may see what, what's the point of registering for a parish. And so how do we make somebody feel like they belong to a parish that so much that they'd want to fill out a registration form and, and kind of really commit to a parish and what would be the purpose of that even? Yeah. Well, it's important to have a registration so you know who the people are. Mm -hmm. That you're, you know, you, you get the sacramental information. You can find out in the process of registration maybe what some of their needs might be. It could be a couple that needs to have their marriage blessed or mm -hmm. validated in the church, a child that needs baptism or needs religious education. Obviously, by registering, then they also receive mail from the parish so you can send them things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there can be communication, which is really important to have that means of communication, to have their home address and their email address, to know where they're at and what their needs are of sacraments. I think also it's good to have maybe some way of visiting a new family that registers, mm -hmm. you know, and bless their home. I think that's a beautiful thing to do. It's, it's a way to... Um, not only that they feel that they belong by being registered, but also so that you have knowledge. It's important the priests have knowledge of who their parishioners right. are. Yeah. Right. And I'm not sure what our parish is doing now, but I know there was talks at, at some time of having a, a, like a welcoming committee. And so a new person that would register, you would have a couple or a family would come over to their house and bring a little welcoming gift and kind of get to know them, see if they had any questions about either the community or the parish or the school or anything like that. I actually, I'm kind of curious if if people are doing some of these things in their parish and, and it could be duplicated yeah, more. I think it's also an opportunity to invite them to be active by, you know, providing them with materials. Uh, some parishes have booklets that have all the different organizations of the parish, the mm -hmm. different groups, prayer groups, 
adult religious education opportunities, school information, calendar of parish events, you know, to have all of that so that, yeah. you know, when you're registering them, you say, yeah, th now these are some of the activities you might want to think about. These are what what's going on here. These are right. our ministries. These are our programs. If you'd like to participate, you'd be most welcome. These are the contact people. If you're interested in being a lector, here's the person in charge of being lectors. If you want to come to Bible study, yeah. you know, all that information, it should be. So it's not, I, I think that should just be normal mm -hmm. in every parish that you would have that so that you can give to your parishioners, especially new parishioners, so that they can learn about the parish and get involved. And then the personal welcome to yeah. uh, to be part of the activities of the parish. All right. Well, I have a few more things that I'd like to ask you about, but before we do, uh, maybe take a quick break here, and then we'll come back with more about making our parishes welcoming and get to listener-submitted questions right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. We've been talking about how do we make our, our parishes more welcoming. I think it goes for everything, our Catholic schools, our homes. How do we welcome not just other Catholics, but just anybody that they that they feel like they belong, that they're, they're invited to participate and be a part of our family, to be a part of our church, to be a part of our school. And I wonder if part of the issue, thinking about when I was in college, you have this natural turnover in college. So every fall, the beginning of the year, you've got a new round of students. So it gives you an excuse to say, hey, in the end of your pews, there's a little form. We'd love it if you fill it out. Let us know who you are, what you're interested in, and we can kind of get you paired up with the ministry that might fit you best. With our regular parishes, the turnover is very sporadic or irregular. And so we don't have that. And you don't want to constantly be nagging everybody and making this, you know, every five months or something like that, telling people to don't forget to register. And so people kind of slip through the cracks. Or if you have a, a bigger parish, especially the new person that comes in just kind of blends in. You don't recognize that they're a new person. So nobody knows to reach out to them or say hello or ask their name or are you new here? And you definitely don't want to say, are you new here? If they've been going there for 10 right, years, right. you just never paid attention that closely. So any suggestions on how we could kind of get over that or, or to, to reach out to somebody that might be new in the parish or, or find those people? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it is good to have regular announcements in the bulletin about registering, mm -hmm. but I think also if you have uh, one of those gathering spaces, you can have posters up or like, you know, that say, are you, if you are new or something like that, here's welcome. Um, and then direct them to someone to register. I think there's various ways you can do it. I think a lot of times the priest himself, sometimes people, you know, if he recognizes someone, that he doesn't recognize mm -hmm. when he's greeting people after mass. I mean, that's an opportunity sometimes. I know when I was a pastor, I kind of knew who was there yeah. and who was new. And I would say, oh, are you new and uh -huh. welcome? And I might say, oh, come by the rectory and uh, we'll register you. It's great to have you, something like that. So I guess it depends on the size of the parish and the staff. And, you know, I think each parish has to look at how they're doing in this area. Mm -hmm. 
and how they are reaching out to new parishioners. I don't think there's one size fits all. Sure. I mean, there's some places that are smaller, other places that are very large, and different strategies might work in different places. You mentioned being a priest, and you've mentioned in the past that you are more on the introverted side of things. Do you think all of this being welcoming and greeting people is easier for extroverts and maybe is more of a calling for people that are extroverted? And so if somebody's <laughs> listening and thinks, I'm an extrovert, they like, okay, well, maybe it's your job to step up yeah. and fill some of these positions. Or would you think, no, this is, this everybody needs to be welcoming and greeting and, and even yeah. if it's a little out of your comfort zone? Oh, everyone should be doing it just in their, you know, like just being friendly to others, others who are in the same pew or holding a door open or being friendly in the parking lot, saying hello to people. Uh That's that's for everybody. Now, to be an official like minister of hospitality or greeter, that might be something more for an extrovert. Yeah. Because, you know, that's something that they enjoy. It's something that's very natural to them. I'm not sure an introverted person is going to want to be the the, the greeter at the door greeting everybody. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, You mentioned bulletins, and I think now a lot of our parish communications are still happening in the bulletin, but also taking place on websites or over emails and text messages. Uh, How have you seen the use of technology either improving the way that we communicate or maybe that we're not really using it to its full potential yet? Yeah, I think some places are doing very well. I'll look on a parish website and it can be very beautiful. It can have yeah. good art, good good uh, information. It can be very attractive and easy to get to things, not just have mass times and that, might even have some spiritual reflections to read. Mm-hmm. Um, you can really have a very beautiful website, but then others that are out of date and they're boring and you know you know so they vary too i think we need to give attention to both websites i mean some places have parish apps uh but various Mm -hmm. ways especially for our young adults through social media facebook pages etc so i think we need to be creative and we need to communicate the way people enjoy you know or want to be uh, communicate the tools that they want to use. I really think it's especially important with our young people, our young adults. Yeah. And I think they're some of the ones who can work on these things for us. Yeah. I mean, whenever I have an issue with my phone or whatever, I'm <laughs> yeah. asking a young person to yeah. show me. It can be a child because they know more about it than I do. But, um, but no, I think also that they be attractive, that every parish should have a good website. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, and it should be attractive. It should be up to date. And it should be easy to navigate um, and have good material on it. And I'd say the same thing for the bulletins. I mean, I see some bulletins that are really nice, nice art, mm-hmm. the way it's arranged, it's easy to read, um, you know, and others, you know, are pretty boring. So, but I think you can even be more creative on websites. Yeah. 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 And every time I get a postcard in the mail, I think oh, you can save some money and just send me an email or a text message, but not all churches are are communicating in that way, but that's another way I think. You know, another thing, a lot of parishes don't have their family's email addresses. Right. You know, I've been encouraging because I think that's a good way to communicate. And then some, I do think have these parish apps. I don't know how many do, but that's one way. Um, I think it'd be good if we had more, um, ability to communicate with parishioners via modern technology instead of always having to use the regular mail, which as you said, it's, it can get pretty expensive. Mm -hmm. 
So maybe just kind of to wrap this up a little bit, because we've got some some big questions in today's episode coming up. How important is this to the mission of the church for it to be welcoming, to be a place that people belong and they participate versus, I guess, maybe the other way of viewing it would be it's a it's a place of prayer. It's a place to to come for sacraments. It's a spiritual haven. Is it 50-50? Is it more the sacraments? And But the the welcoming part is our access to it. How, how do you see yeah, this? I'd say the latter. I mean, the the core of it is is God, is yeah. Jesus. And then, you know, I talk about beauty. You know, our churches should be beautiful. Mm-hmm. They should be clean. The music, the liturgy should be well-planned and beautiful mm-hmm. so that the experience of worship of God is at the very heart. So even if you mentioned like a stranger coming in who who is maybe not Catholic and comes in, I may not understand what's happening, but if it's a beautiful liturgy mm-hmm. done with reverence and beautiful music, and a church that you know is 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 beautiful, that's going to lift a person's heart and lift a person's soul, and I think that's uh, that's very very attractive mm-hmm. to people, no matter where they're coming from, but at the same time, the people coming to church and those working at the parish also need to be affable mm-hmm. and and friendly and kind. I mean, that's part of what living our faith is. So you have to have the worship experience being beautiful, but also that has should be having an effect in people's lives. Right. So that means that that's carried over in the way we relate to other people. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I hope that makes sense. So it's both and, not either or. Yeah, if the music is great and the church is beautiful, but the people are rude, right? Either by what they do or what they fail to do, yes, people are going to get the wrong impression. So, exactly. all right, well, good. Coming up, we are going to be talking about listener submitted questions. If you have questions, you can ask them by going to redeemerradio.com slash ask bishop. You can text us on the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. Coming up, we have questions about reaching out to the religiously unaffiliated tarot cards and more on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, here with our bishop. Bishop has generously offered to answer the questions that listeners have submitted. I will read the questions for the listeners. Jason Wardwell from St. Elizabeth and Seton Parish in Fort Wayne said, Bishop, thanks for all you do. You are a tremendous blessing to our diocese and our church. I was talking with a friend about evil spirits and exorcisms. I explained how evil spirits are real and how people can become possessed and although it's rare, it can happen. She shared with me that her daughter-in-law has dabbled with tarot cards, and this concerns my friend, but she can't quite put her finger on the problem and how to articulate that it's a bad idea. What information and advice can she give to her daughter-in-law about this? Oh, thank you, for first of all, for your kind words, Jason. Um, yeah, I would stay away from tarot cards. Um, I think I would try to explain why they're a bad idea so that she can explain to her daughter-in-law. Tarot cards are, uh, really, it's a form of divination. 
Okay. Now, let me preface it by saying there has been a long history of using them for legitimate playing cards, but they're mostly known. Like a game. Like a game. Okay. Uh, but they're known, I'd say, more as uh, for purposes of divination. Okay. And the church is very clear that we should reject all forms of divination. As a matter of fact, the catechism says recourse to Satan or demons, conjuring up the dead, or other practices falsely supposed to unveil the future are to be rejected. And it mentions consulting horoscopes, astrology, palm reading, interpretation of omens and lots, the phenomena of clairvoyance and recourse to mediums, all conceal a desire for power over time, history, and in the last analysis, other human beings, as well as a wish to conciliate hidden powers. They contradict the honor, respect, and loving fear that we owe to God alone. So the whole what idea- What paragraph is that again? What's that number? What paragraph? Yeah. Uh, two, 2116. 2116. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So think about this divination. The whole idea is to gain power, power over one's own personal circumstances or power over other human beings. Sometimes people get involved in this stuff because they have a fear of the future. So they're trying to, through palm reading or tarot cards, uh, learn about the future. Um, you know, the fact is um, we need to trust in God. Mm -hmm. I mean, our futures are in the hands of God. And we shouldn't try to take that power away, you know? So I think there is a certain danger of resorting to these kinds of things to try to solve one's problems or to try to find out about the future through tarot cards or through palm reading, all those kinds of things. And, and there are cases where, you know, some of this can lead to opening a door to the demonic. Mm -hmm. And one has to be very careful of this because any kind of, you know, trying to practice magic, stuff like that, of divination of any sort is really contrary to our faith, um, especially invoking the devil or something like that. That's clearly a mortal sin. Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, sometimes people read a horoscope in the newspaper, but they're not believing it. They're not taking it seriously mm -hmm. you know that's not a problem but it's different if one is you know believing in things and, and making decisions or you know paying astrologers for advice or paying someone to read your palm and stuff like that that's trusting in other powers and it's a really mm -hmm. a sin against the first commandment okay nancy simmons from saint vincent de paul parish in fort wayne submitted the following Last week, I attended the lovely Advent and Carol's service at the University of St. Francis, followed by a beautiful Mass. In the prayers of the faithful, blessings were asked upon the donors and benefactors of St. Francis. I realized that this prayer request was very unique to my experience in six decades of Holy Mass, namely, recognition of the great good the rich have done. Is there any verse in the Gospels of Jesus speaking in gratitude about the rich? I can only remember chastisements. After all, the rich and others as well pay taxes, which provides civil services for the benefit of all, fund scholarships, art, parks, libraries, etc., 
Where are Jesus' words of thankfulness for the good they have done? I can't think of anything where, I mean, every time Jesus speaks words of thanks in the gospel that I can think of are thanks to God the Father, mm. you know, like in his own prayer, etc. I mean, obviously, Jesus warns us against uh, the dangers of of wealth, mm -hmm. that it can be a spiritual stumbling block in the sense of not that money is evil. No, it's this, it, what's evil is greed or excessive attachment or excessive love of money and wealth. So those who are blessed with material prosperity, Jesus is very clear on the importance of being charitable, taking care of the poor. It's what one does, it's what's in the heart. So so if we get a, a, a if we're self-indulgent, just um, trusting in one's possessions, one can, as Jesus talks about at one point, getting choked by one's riches and one's mm -hmm. pleasures. You know, our treasure is in heaven. So that's why it is important for someone who is blessed materially to be generous with those who are less fortunate. Jesus didn't condemn people like Zacchaeus, who had a lot of money, or Joseph of Arimathea, who was a wealthy man, but he called them mm -hmm. to be generous and to care about the less fortunate. And he warned about the dangers, about how difficult it can be for one who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven, because it can be a stumbling block, can make one selfish, can mm -hmm. make one, you know, hoard things for themselves. And like the Pharisees, he called them lovers of money. There are trappings that come with wealth. So it's how we use material goods. So we can have wealthy individuals who are really generous and they're not caught up in their wealth. They're giving, giving, giving. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. That's living what Jesus is sa saying. But it can be a spiritual stumbling block if it leads to selfishness and greed. So I hope that answers the question. But yeah, I mean, the question about did Jesus, I don't remember him ever thanking the wealthy, for example, who, who gave arms. Uh, his thanks was always, gave alms. His, his thanks was always directed to God. Who um, gave those people either right. the, the skills or the you know, opportunities to have that money that they could give. Right. So it's, it's, I guess it's refocusing it, not on look how good I am and what I've done, but look what God has been able to do through me of being able to, to support these organizations or whatever. Yeah. One of the passages of scripture that I think says it best is St. Paul's in St. Paul's first letter to Timothy mm -hmm. in chapter six, verses 17 and 18. I think this is good advice uh, for, for the wealthy. He says, command, this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, mm. which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Mm. I think that's kind of encapsulate what Jesus teaches, what St. Paul writes to Timothy. Again, that's chap first letter of Timothy, to Timothy, chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. So the rich are called to be 
rich in good deeds to serve others and to be generous and willing to share with others. Yeah, I like that. All right, another listener said, I watched Bishop Barron's presentation at the recent USCCB meeting. During the Q&A, many bishops gave their comments and questions. I would like to hear Bishop Rhodes' thoughts. I'm assuming Bishop Rhodes was there. I currently teach religious ed to confirmation students, sub for junior high students at a Catholic school, and I'm desperately trying to get a high school youth group going in our parish. My husband and I have been parenting for 33 years. Our last child is currently in a Catholic high school. What Bishop Barron said in the video is exactly what I'm experiencing with these kids and our own. Curious to know Bishop Rhodes' thoughts on Bishop Barron's recommendations and the direction our diocese is taking in, quote, reaching out to the religiously unaffiliated, end quote. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm glad with that, for that question because I thought Bishop Barron's presentation at the USCCB meeting was very good yeah. on this topic. As you know, about 26% of American adults now identify as religiously unaffiliated. Mm-hmm. So that number has been growing in the past, I don't know, 12 or 13 years. Mm-hmm. That's grown by like 10%. Wow. I mean, that's huge. And if you look at the millennial generation, those born between 1981 and 1996, 40% are identify as unaffiliated. So wow. this needs to be a number one pastoral priority for us. Mm-hmm. And it is for me and our diocese. We're doing a lot in this area. But uh, there were five paths that that Bishop Barron pointed out that he thought would be helpful and useful in reaching out to people who are not affiliated with the church or who are alienated from the church. And I think these are five good, they're they're not exhaustive and he didn't mean them to be, but I think they're very good suggestions. One recommendation that he gives is young people, uh, getting more people involved in works of justice because often young people will resonate with the church's outreach to the poor and the needy. That's my experience. Like in our high schools, I really promote Catholic relief services and our young people really get engaged with that. And many of them get involved with helping CRS, but it can also be in one's own local community. So I think if you have youth ministry or young adult programs, it's really good to offer opportunities for service Mm -hmm. to assist those who are poor, those who are suffering, those who are needy. Young people enjoy that. And it's part of our faith. It's one way to engage young people in the life of the church. Another thing, and, and you know, they'll stay closer to the church mm-hmm. because of that. Another th- method that he talks about is leading with beauty. I think this is really, I, I've heard Bishop Barron talk about this at different times. Yeah. In Latin, it's called the via pulchritudinis, the way of beauty. Pope Benedict used to talk about this. Okay. You know, sometimes young people don't like to be told what to do or what to think, but we can, instead of saying, uh, do this, do that, show them, show them what it looks like and to lead with beauty um, can be beautiful music, beautiful churches. We were talking earlier about websites, even mm-hmm. having websites that are attractive. Which I think that was something that Bishop Barron mentioned. And he too. did. He yeah, he yeah. did. He also mentioned in that talk to not dumb down the faith. Mm-hmm. Now, Bishop Barron has talked about this a lot. I agree with this, too, because when I was a high school student, I think in some ways the, there was a dumbing down of the faith. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of questions that weren't getting answered. Mm-hmm. Uh 
so now, for example, in our diocese, we're doing a lot in the area of science and religion, mm -hmm. science and faith, sure. so that the real questions that young people have and how to reconcile certain things, you know, we need to be able to get good, convincing examples and not just give these simplistic answers. We have to have substantive catechetical formation. I know some students, for example, at one of our high schools who are, they were just hungering for this. There's one course, for example, that's rather difficult, and it's an optional elective course in religion, in theology, in one of our classrooms. And it's a very popular course, uh -huh. but it's a tough course. It shows that the young people don't want us to dumb down the faith. They, they want it to be something that's meaty so that their questions don't go unanswered. And we have such a rich ex intellectual tradition. We need to invite our young people to and accompany them in, in, in their intellectual growth. Mm -hmm. So that's a, another point. He, he talked about the importance of outreach, uh, having that missionary mentality that we don't just wait for young people to come to us. We have to go out to them. So I think that's very, very important that we go out to the young people where they're at and find out, you know, especially I know working with young adults, you know, asking them what, what activities they would like to do, you know, reaching out that way. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think our young adult ministry, you know, I've focused on this a lot in our diocese. I see it happening in a number of parishes and I see more young people getting involved. I have a big young adult, uh, you know, a, a mass and an hour of adoration with some of our young adults coming up. And that was at their request. Hmm. You know, I said, well, what would you like? I, I'd be glad to come. I, well, how about, Bishop, we spend an hour of prayer together? Oh, I'd love that, you know? Yeah. So that's, ask, that's what they're asking for. Yeah. And then some social time afterwards. Yeah. And uh, the, the final thing he said was to use new media to reach young people, and uh, especially those disengaged with the church, and that we need to invest more time and more money into social media. This is not my area of expertise, but our Office of Communications is doing a lot in this area. Mm -hmm. Various diocesan offices are using social media a lot more, and especially in our young adult ministry. So, so yeah, I think we have to use social media effectively. Um, that's part of the culture now. So those are just some ideas, uh, but I think our diocese is pretty well is doing a good deal at this point to reach out to the religiously unaffiliated. I think uh, many parishes are. I've encouraged all of our priests. We had a workshop, and that was the main theme, mm -hmm. was reaching out to young adults, and especially those who are not affiliated anymore. How much of this do you think is a failure of the church, and how much of it is a failure of the family? Oh, that's a good, very good question. Uh, well, I think it's an influence of the culture, Mm. Uh, more secularized culture, definitely, and you know, in, in some schools and entertainment industry and right. all kinds of things. So there's some external things. I don't want to yeah. say it's all internal. There's external influences that have been negative, but I do think that all statistics show that a lot of it begins in the family, mm. in the home. They talk about the importance of parents practicing the faith, mm -hmm. and they especially zero in on the father. Mm -hmm. There's research that shows how if the father is practicing the faith and uh, goes to church, etc., and the family prays at home, that that's the number one indicator of a child who becomes 
when he becomes he or she becomes an adult that they'll practice, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. There's important responsibility of the family. That's number one. I think there's also the responsibility of our parishes. Mm-hmm. They definitely need to have not only openness to young adults, but really go out to them, make them feel welcome, be relevant to them, get them involved in the parish, uh, whatever types of ministries, service of the poor, like Bishop Barron mentioned, involved in the liturgy. And like I said, just kind of listening to young adults and what are their needs and what are their questions. Yeah, and we need other influences besides our fathers. And as great as our fathers can be, sometimes we want to listen to somebody else and yeah, yeah, <laughs> not yeah, listen to yeah. dad anymore. But they also talk, I mean, this is Christian Smith's research as a sociologist where he found about the influence of the father. I mean, important, obviously, the influence of the mother as well. But they also talk about other significant adults in their lives. That That has a big impact as well. Yeah. Uh, maybe a challenge to us godparents as well to yep. intervene. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop, for another great episode. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. Thanks, Kyle. On our next episode, Bishop talks about voting and how Catholics can prayerfully discern the weight of issues and the best candidates. If you have a question, submit it at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop or download the free Redeemer Radio app and select Ask Your Questions. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. <laughs>